Thank you all once again for being with us tonight. We're going to hear from God's Word together in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, you can find it there. You can find it on your cell phone as well, or you can just listen and hear the story. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's take a moment and we'll pray and then we'll reflect on this hope together. Father, thank you that you speak to us. Lord, I pray tonight as we hear from your story, as we consider your words, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in the places we need you. I pray that you would meet us behind our defenses, the places we put up our guard, and that you would restore us, that you would teach us something true that we need. Bring us back to sanity and wholeness. And Lord, we just need you in all of this. So we ask it of you and ask that your word and spirit would just work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been, walk we've been walking through the story of hope, this grand story from creation to Christ. And we've seen how Jesus is the one who came to fulfill all of these promises of God over the past several weeks. But now we come to the promise of a king, a promise of a kingdom, because Jesus came not simply to be a cute baby. He came to reign forever as a king. But I wonder for some of us today in the 21st century, many of us, does that actually sound like something we would hope in? Do we want a king? Is a king a thing worthy of our hope? I think of moments that I've been swept up in hope. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but the beginning of the season, Broncos 3-0. and And it's like, okay, here we go. And then, here we are. How long, oh Lord? You know? It becomes, it becomes increasingly hard to put your hopes in things when you have your hopes shattered. But we have our hopes shattered in things that are much more important to us even than football. We put our hopes in, in family, put our hopes in a marriage. We put our hopes in a job, in a church, in a pastor. Put our hopes in a political candidate or a party. And inevitably, as we live in this world, we experience betrayal. We experience death, separation, and hopes get dashed. Maybe you know this feeling. Many of our neighbors, maybe even some of you tonight, who came and took a risk to be with us, have looked to Christ in hope. Maybe for a long portion of their life they looked to Jesus, but then there came a time where their questions outnumbered their sense of having a steady answer in him. They've deconstructed their faith. And they're not sure that 
they can hope in Jesus anymore. Many of these dear ones have experienced the misuse of power, the misuse of authority, particularly when it's done in God's name. And the picture of Jesus that they have, oftentimes the picture of Jesus that they're reacting against is one perhaps that's different from the Jesus of the scriptures. I think it helps us to begin thinking of the Christmas story in the midst of shattered hopes because that's where the people of God were. They had received promises a thousand years prior of a king and a kingdom. King David was promised a throne that would be established forever. Peace and righteousness without end. Rest for his people. But if you just flip over a few pages later, you're going to find that kingdom divided. And a few pages later, the people of that kingdom conquered and taken into exile. And where on earth is this promise? What hope is a kingdom? A kingdom meant oppression to them, a series of oppressors. And even their one shining moment where they recovered independence, it wasn't a son of David. It was another line of corrupt kings. And now they're under Roman oppression. It's in the days of Caesar Augustus that hope came. And you could just imagine Mary hearing a promise from an angel that her son would be called the son of the Most High and he would reign on David's throne. It would almost be too much to believe. How could you hope in that after your people had longed for it for so long and after it had never come to fruition? And when they've been so hurt, we, we want something. We want rest. We want protection. We want the safety that a kingdom might offer, offer the, the purpose it might offer. But we don't want a king who will hurt us. And so how could this promise of a king be good news? The good news, brothers and sisters, is, is that in Jesus, God came to reign in humility. In humility so different from all of our experiences of worldly power. This Jesus is so different from the kings of his day and every king and every political figure ever since. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar is the ruler of a huge portion of the known world at this time around the Mediterranean. And a decree went out from him. Let's just, just compare these two kings for a moment. Caesar is distant. He's off in Rome. He would never come to see you. You would never expect to have a conversation with him. But Jesus came near with his people. He was born in their midst. He would walk the streets with them. He would embrace them. He would have meals with them. He would lay hands upon them. He is Emmanuel, God with us, a humble king. Caesar Augustus hurls down decrees and he expects you to listen the first time. He's not going to offer you any help. He just expects you to do it. He wants you to be registered. Why? So he can tax you and so that he can impress you into service in his army when he needs you. He has an agenda for you. Jesus is so different. He's a king who helps. 
He's a king whose agenda is to help you become the best version of yourself, to be more fully human. And when you come to him, he does have good works prepared for us to do. But when you come to him, he would help you. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He'll carry it with you. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, he says. You'll find rest for your souls even as you work with me and I with you. He is a king who helps. He sends his spirit into his people to help them. He's not like Caesar who would make up a trumped up story to legitimize his power. We know this today. Political figures do this. All sorts of people will do this. They'll create a narrative about where they come from, their backstory that makes them seem like the right one, the one we should choose, our guy. And in Caesar's case, he had a whole mythology about how he was a son of the gods, and so people would actually have to worship him and burn incense before his image as a god. But King Jesus came truly to fulfill the story of hope. His is a true story. All of those promises, those historic promises given to David, and we see the page screaming with it in verse 4. Joseph went up from Galilee, to the t from Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Jesus is from the family of the king. It's his true story. And he's coming to fulfill this story of hope. He's one who embraced poverty. Think of it. Caesar lives a lavish life. He wouldn't touch anything that was remotely reflective of poverty. But Jesus comes and he's not like Caesar who would bring an entourage and force people out of their house so that he could have a place to stay. No, he's in an ordinary family that doesn't have money to get a place. So they stay in a stable. He's born humbly. Humble king. He would embrace humanity. <laughs> this is the wonder of it all. The Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary so that she would conceive the Son of God, the true Son of God. Infinity becoming finite, eternity coming into time and taking on skin and eyes and nose, teeth, leg hair, fully human. And he would live a human life, ordinary human days, perfectly for us. Because we don't live perfect days. And this one who embraced humanity for us, he embraced death for us. The one who was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. In Luke 23, 53, we find him wrapped in burial linens and laid in a tomb. He was born to die. He was born to die for our sins. He lived that perfect life so that he could lay it down in our place. God is a just God but he would make us safe in his presence and cover us with his righteousness. And he would rise again on the third day. He is the hope for you in this season, dear one, who have an empty chair at the table, 
who wonder if Christmas could ever be Christmas again. He is with you. And he has conquered death for you. This humble king. He's taken on the most fundamental problem of our sins. And he has conquered Jesus. Who would save us from our sins. Bring true peace. The government upon his shoulders. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has done this. That's the Christmas story. Is this hope of a king. But some of us struggle to wonder how we could ever hope in a king, how we could hope in Jesus, especially with all of our story, with all that we bring with us and our experience of Jesus. I, I think we would find a help, a friend, if that's you tonight, in the one who received the promises of a kingdom, King David. King David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus, he was a good king until he wasn't. And one day, he was standing on top of one of his high-walled fortresses, and he's looking down, and he sees a woman. He shouldn't see her. He should be off at battle with his troops, but he's home, creeping on some gal. And because he's king, he thinks he can do whatever he wants, and so he does. He takes her. And when he finds out that she is going to have his child, he has her husband sent to the front line so that he would intentionally be killed. And he was. He becomes a murderer. This is utter wickedness. This is the kind of terrible stuff that we expect from kings and from people who take political power. We expect it to be misused. And David did just that. The wonder, though, of this story is, though, when, when David was called out, when he was told that what he had done was wrong. He was crushed. And he knew it was true. And wonder of wonders, the Lord would forgive him. Even restore him. And so later on in life, David would say crazy things like this. Things that I wonder if you could say today. He would say things like, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. It's good when the Lord who is king, tells me what to do. It revives my soul. He say it's sweeter than honey and dripping, dripping of the honeycomb. He would, he would say things like, Lord, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me because he experienced what it was to live life autonomously. This is what we long for in 21st century America. We want to be autonomous. We want to make our choices for ourselves. We want to be ourselves. And don't question me for it. Well, David, he was himself. And he did what he wanted to do. And it led to destruction. But he experienced something different in the Lord and in his ways. He, he would say things like, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's pleasurable to know you and to follow you and to walk in your ways. He experienced this from the Lord. And so he would call him his rock, his redeemer, something steady and solid to stand on, a redeemer who would save him. And he could just see him dimly in these pictures of sacrifice. But we see him so clearly now, Jesus our king who came to save us, this humble king. And, and, and dear one, if you feel like Jesus 
is this God who would just crush you because of your sin. Look at who he truly is. In John 8, there's a story treasured by the early Christians. Jesus was with a woman who was caught in adultery. There were all sorts of God talkers and religious leaders around her, and they have stones in their hands. They're ready to crush her and kill her because of her sin. And Jesus, what does he do? He stands with her. He's defending her. He's in between her and the religious people. And he's willing to be misunderstood by them. He'll say to them, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And you can imagine at that moment, those who are more on the, the religious conservative side of things, so, this is something that we do at times. We'll, we'll try to push people into a certain camp so that we could oppose them. And they might say something like, oh, you see who he associates with. Huh. Pathetic. But Jesus stands with her and would dignify her and invite her to follow him. But on the other side, you have people that would be upset with Jesus because Jesus would say, go and sin no more. He would say, the law of the Lord is perfect. Come and follow me. And there would be people on the other side who want to throw stones at Jesus because he doesn't affirm everything about everyone all the time. He wants to see them experience humanity to the fullest and the truest, the way God made them to be. And so he calls this woman out of her sins to follow him. If you struggle with a picture of Jesus that's mean-hearted, that has a political agenda. You should deconstruct that picture of Jesus. You should. It's honest. Go back to the real Jesus. Look at him in the scriptures. Look at him in the gospel according to Luke. He is a wondrously humble king. He's the only one who's ever gotten hold of such power. All authority in heaven and on earth are his. And yet he is so kind and gentle and true. On the flip side, if you have a Jesus who affirms everything about you all the time, you should also deconstruct that Jesus because Jesus is all righteousness and holiness, perfection that we can't hardly bear to look upon and yet he's safe. How could it be good news at Christmas time that we have a king in Jesus because he doesn't have an agenda to take from us. He came to give himself. So I invite you to look to him this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, the Savior. Thank you that he would offer himself so freely to us Lord, for those of us who have rejected a certain picture of Jesus, I pray that you would draw us back to ask again who he is. Lord, for those of us who have given a false picture of who Jesus is, lead us in repentance. Help us to look anew at Jesus. We long that our world would see him, the light of the world. So help us in this, Lord even this Christmas around the Christmas dinner table. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this time we celebrate our Savior, Jesus. He's the light of the world. The light who comes into the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. And so we celebrate that by lighting candles together and singing Silent Night. Uh, but we also do that by not burning the whole place down. <laughs> so when you have an unlit candle, lean it toward a lit candle. And that will help us avoid spilling wax and catching one another on fire or some other terrible calamity. So uh, I'll get us started with candles being lit and we'll sing Silent Night together and celebrate the humble Savior, our King Jesus.